Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi everyone, welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today I'm sitting down with David Richman. David is an entrepreneur, author, public speaker, athlete, and philanthropist. He uses the lessons he learned in his life to enrich and inspire. David started to form the idea of his latest book, Cycle of Lives, after his sister died from brain cancer. After many years of raising awareness and funds for cancer research and care, he became keenly aware that people were open to sharing the tasks related to the cancer experience, but very few discussions dealt with the emotions of cancer, whether that be of the patient, a loved one, survivor, or caregiver. David then embarked on a journey to find 15 compelling human stories to explore the traumas and events in their lives that shaped the way they dealt with the emotions of cancer. After interviewing these people for more than two years, David wrote the book to share their stories with the hope of helping start conversations about the emotional aspects of trauma and the cancer experience. I look forward to sharing my conversation with David, but before I do, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for some great tips on cancer prevention and recovery, go to my website at revivewellness.com. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com and click on free gift. Hi, David. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Thank you, Haley. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yes, I'm looking forward to it as well. So first, I just really want to hear a little bit about you and why you decided to write the book. Hey, well, open-ended what about me in the book is just, it's a pretty simple story, really, but it, it, it built over a number of years. What happened was um, I had gone through, I was going through a number of different transformative things in my life, right? A lot of stress at work, a lot of stress in my personal life. And I started to make some big changes, like really started to become aware of the concept of like living your life on purpose and, you know, going out and trying to take charge of things rather than react to things. And I was just in this world of turmoil and trying to find my way out. And at that same time, my sister told me about the fact that she had been diagnosed with cancer and most likely terminal brain cancer. And because I was on this journey of transformation and awareness and kind of trying to live life on purpose, I kind of made an effort to really uh, be next to her during that journey. Not, not always physically next to her, but you know, I, with her, I, like I didn't back away from it or, um, you know, keep an arm's distance from certain aspects of it. I tried to kind of explore as much as I could with her so I could see what I would learn and um, be there to help her possibly if there was anything I could do to help her. And when I um, 
when I started paying attention to people that were going through issues like she was, especially with cancer, because it's shrouded in so much mystery, I noticed they were really, people were really good. And whether it's the patient, the survivor, caregiver, a professional, whatever, they're very good at talking about the tasks around the cancer. You know, when am I going to get my next PET scan? How, how do my kids get taken care of while I'm getting chemo? Uh, how can I reduce the stress in my life? These kind of things. But when it came to talking about the emotional side of it, um, mouths closed, uh, you know, hands hands up to keep people away or just, you know, bow your head and kind of shake your head. Now people just don't talk about the emotional side. And so um, that intrigued me as a writer. And I embarked on the Psycho Lives Project as a result. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your sister mm-hmm. and, you know, how did she respond to you opening up to her and asking her questions? Was she open as well? Well, I, yeah, I didn't really interview her for the book. Like I did the 15, I, I, you know, the book is made up of 15 stories, 15 different people from wildly diverse backgrounds. And we went into it with the purpose of getting to the really deep recesses of their emotional experience in relation to the other traumas in their life. So I didn't actually kind of formally go through the process with her, but what I did was I created a safe space and asked her to create a safe space for us to um, be able to talk about whatever. And so I think that even though we didn't consciously do that, because this project came out of kind of my shock and awe at finding out that people just didn't have those hard conversations. There's just so many reasons why, right? Um, they're not equipped to do it. They just don't understand the language of it and, you know, the whole thing. But we just being brother and sister, you know, you have a different way to communicate. It would be like a, a spouse, you know, has a different way or a, a mother and their son might have a different way to communicate. Brother and sister has a different way to communicate. So we, she just kind of like didn't block me from entering that world and I didn't avoid entering the world and i think that that's both are easy to do and so we just kind of as much as we could we, we went through that process together and were able to talk about you know a lot of different aspects of it that's beautiful and do you feel like it brought you closer together oh most definitely right it, it did i mean uh i don't think i i think knowing somebody that's going through a terminal illness you're it, you're you're never going to check every box and feel like you were able to wrap your brain around every aspect of it. Um, certainly, it's in that respect better than somebody that gets taken quickly or by an accident or unexpectedly, where none of those boxes got checked off, right? But I would say that um, for sure we got closer only because we had the opportunity to talk about things that normally we wouldn't have talked about, right? Deep stuff. Yeah, deep stuff. And on on a level that um, permeates into other things in your life, you know? So when somebody, when you hear about a mother that um, dies with young kids, then your imagination can go to all the different places of how tough it must be for the kids, how tough it must be for the surviving spouse, um, what they might miss out on. And, you know, you can kind of wrap your brain around those thoughts. Um, but talking to my sister and hearing her 
say to me in the several different ways that she said to me that the hardest thing about going through cancer was knowing that she was going to leave her kids behind and the guilt and the regret and the sadness from that. It just made me a little more first person aware of making sure I develop better relationships with my kids, right? Uh, maybe being a little more sensitive to what other people might be going through. And, you know, having the idea of what people are going through is one thing, but really, really understanding what they're going through um, is a whole nother level of connection and authenticity, you know? Yeah. Almost putting yourself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. So I know you interviewed 15 or, or maybe more than 15 people, but you put oh, yeah. 15 people in the book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know all their stories are unique. I was curious, did they have any commonalities in, in their traumas or how they handled them or mm -hmm. any commonalities at all just in their stories? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so look, Haley, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get people that had a wide range of age when they encountered cancer. So as a six-year-old girl watching her dad go through cancer, um, as a 50-year-old getting cancer, you know, as a, a doctor who's been an oncologist for 40 years, right? I, I wanted a range of age. I wanted a different severities of cancer. So one and done or a lifetime filled with cancer different emotional responses, different traumas that they had in their life that led to uh, form the way that they were able to or not able to deal with the emotional side of, of cancer, you know, traumas such as like suicide, abandonment, drug addiction, those type of things. Um, and so what I wanted was the most diverse amount of perspectives so that um, the reader or the general public which is the greater goal, wouldn't have to kind of try to apply one person's story to their experience. I wanted them to be able, the reader, people to be able to see a wide range of, of people, right? A wide range of experiences. So they could pick a little nugget here, a nugget there and apply it. So the reason why I say that is knowing that it was so wildly diverse, there were a few things that were very common. And um, one thing was all of them, at some level and every single person that they've ever interacted with in their life at some level were not equipped to deal with the emotional issues mm -hmm. and which led to things such as isolation or self-isolation or uh, feeling guilty about wanting to talk to people or not knowing what to say and there, there were like these common themes right of not being well equipped that was one Another common theme, which was fascinating to me, Haley, was that um, no matter how extraordinary these people's lives were or a certain facet of their life that we were focused on for this project, um, they all had the same response of, eh, my story's not that interesting. You know, nobody's going nobody's gonna to want to hear about my story. And the thing is, is that um, it really taught me a lesson that everybody's story is fascinating, maybe not every aspect of it but everybody has things we can learn from and that we can draw from and that we can um, gain experience from um, or find comfort in, or uh, even if the comfort is, you know, God, I'm so glad nothing like that ever happened to me. Like I can't identify with what they went through, but maybe I learned something else from it. So um, those two themes that like that common theme of not being able to, uh, uh, 
rely on the exchange with the people that were in their lives on the emotional level. And also that um, the stories were very, very fascinating and interesting. And every single person said, ah, you know, it's just not, nobody's going to want to know. And everybody wants to know. (laughs) Yes. And I'm so glad that in your book, you're bringing this to light, that the emotional Mm -hmm. aspect is just not touched on enough. Because I think when it comes to healing cancer, you really do need to deal with those traumas in your life. Yeah. And they do. Um, a perfect example is this, like um, that you can actually take from, from understanding what people might be going through that we don't know. So we all can identify with the person that had cancer or has cancer or had some other issue where uh, they weren't really open to accepting help. No, I, you know, I don't need you to drive me to my doctor's appointments. I'm, I'm taken care of. Or, um, no, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm really good. You know, check on me in a week. I'll be, I'll be all right. It's just a rough period. And then that gives us an easy out to say, thank goodness, because, you know, I don't know what to say and I don't do anything wrong or whatever. But maybe um, they're telling you that they don't want your help because maybe at a very important point in their life previously, they asked for help from multiple people who didn't give it back, give it to them, right? Maybe perhaps they've been abandoned by the people that they love the most at the most important times in their life. And they don't want to risk being abandoned at this particular time in their life. So maybe even though they seem strong and maybe they don't want your help, maybe that's the thing they need the most. And um, to, to say those things are one thing, but to read them in a story and identify with the background behind it is something in, entirely different. You know, I'd love you to share one or two stories that really stuck out to you. I know, I'm sure they all meant so much to you, but I'd love you to share those. Well, so they they did mean a lot to me, but I'll give you an example of how, like, I, I don't know about, about you and about your audience, but... I, like, um, I, I can't, it's hard for me to relate when somebody gives me a piece of advice, if there's not a story behind it, you know, I don't know how old your son is. Uh, I have grown kids. They're, they're in their early twenties. And when I say something to him, it doesn't make sense. But when I tell him in a story, it makes sense. Right. Otherwise it's just, Oh, you're just telling me whatever. And I kind of understand this idea of, you know, you got to figure out a way to just seize the day, like get up and and tackle the day, no matter what it could bring, no matter how hard life is, you know, you got to put one foot forward. And I think to myself, I mean, that's nice and that's good advice, but until you know, like a story behind it, it doesn't really mean as much. So an example of that is one of my stories is Patricia's story. So I met Patricia under the guise of she's had five different cancers over a 35 year period. And I'm not talking about, you know, minor instances she's had, which are traumatic in the, in their own right. But uh, she had major, major issues, you know, breast cancer, thyroid cancer, liver cancer, you name it like over and over and over. Uh, And she got to the point where, um, Hey doc, just cut out whatever, you need to cut out because I don't, you know, and the doc is like, there's nothing left to cut out. Right. I mean, so this is a woman whose cancer journey is unimaginable. Okay. So that's the, what I go into learning her story about, but when I start talking to her, 
her story is not about the strength that it takes to beat cancer five different times over a 35 year period. Her story is way more about she was at a younger age and prior to her first cancer, um, found herself in a relationship that was exceptionally brutal, uh, physically, emotionally, and psychologically, and was trapped in that relationship for four years where literally she wasn't allowed to make a phone call, wasn't allowed to, I mean, uh, keep one single contact with one person in her life. She was sent to the hospital multiple times, um, um, uh, uh, you know, with physical abuse, a horrible situation that she had to figure out a way to extricate herself from by this elaborate scheme and rechanging her identity and the whole thing, right? Wow. And then she found love. So how do you, so when she says to me, so, so I understand that her story is about cancer and whatever, but it's also about where do you get the strength to beat cancer? And then also, how do you have the optimism to find love after being in that brutal situation? And so there's so many aspects of that story that makes sense. But my whole point in telling you this, Haley, is when I'm talking to her, and I and I asked her what like what's the overriding theme behind how you found the strength to do it because right I didn't want to hear something trite from her I wanted to know what was it what 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 is it and she she said to me one day she goes well listen when you're going through the most ridiculous traumatic things you could ever imagine the things that are the most difficult things you could ever imagine she goes you've got to figure out a way to get least get up and put your feet on the floor she goes sometimes i was able to put my feet on the floor and get up and walk to the bathroom maybe i had to go back to bed sometimes i was able to go through an hour of my day sometimes i was able to go through a whole day she goes, but my goal was to every day be able to put my feet on the floor, even if I then had to go back into my bed. But if I was able to get up out of bed and make my bed, even if it was only made for five minutes, that let me know that the day is ahead of me. She goes, and I'm, I'm always like, I had that optimistic view that if I could get my feet on the ground each morning, that I don't know what it's going to lead to. And I thought to myself, now, if you didn't tell me that, if she had told me that out of context of everything she had gone through, it wouldn't mean as much to me. But but by by when you say put your feet on the ground each morning, now I really understand what that means. So that that's one story that was really touching to and me. And how difficult that can be, right? Just unbelievably that, that little stuff. Unbelievably. Wow. And that's right. It's so important because you know, people are so hard on themselves when they go mm -hmm. through things like cancer and other traumatic experiences. And that just proves just doing little things to, to mm -hmm. get through the day. And that's exactly what she was doing. Yeah. And like, when you think like be strong for my kids or whatever, I, I, and I'm not minimizing how important these kind of little affirmations are, but I think when, when I understand why people say them, or in my case, get away with saying them and it, and it touches me is to know what's behind it. So another quick one, I'll be super quick about it is Karen. So Karen, um, and I had a hard time writing her story cause I didn't really understand what it was all about. But then she said to me one day, she said, 
when the doctor gave me my diagnosis of breast cancer, she said, I needed to leave the room instantaneously and I needed to go into a private room. I asked the doctor, take me to a private room. And she went into what was a closet and she collapsed into a heap and cried her brains out and thought of every regret that she would have in her life and every little point, like her whole life was flashing in front of her, everything that's been bad that's happened to her, everything that's um, that, that she did wrong, um, everything that she thought she would do as a mother that she didn't do, the relationships that she didn't establish that she that she could have made deeper. And she went through this whole like emotional explosion of all of these millions and millions of thoughts that flashed by her in five minutes. And then she climbed up and she wiped away her tears and she walks back into the doctor's office and she grabs a yellow pad of paper and a pen and she says, all right, what do we need to do? And so she said to me, she goes, you know, a million thoughts went through my head in those five minutes. I'll never write them down. I'll never think about them again, but it just gave me the strength and the direction to know that I got to figure out a way to beat this thing because I got a lot of living to do. And so knowing, like I can identify with that situation. I can identify with uh, finding the strength to make it through something because I think of Karen sitting in that closet going, having this emotional explosion for five minutes that led her to say, I, I got I to gotta get through this thing. I, I have to, I have so much to do. I have so many wrongs to write. I have so much ahead of me. I got to beat this thing. Mm. Like to, to use that as her strength. So these kind of stories are are in the book, and they they're really what touches touches me, and I'm hoping touches the reader. Is she doing okay now? Oh my God, she's. I I met her actually when she was going through. She had a mastectomy, and she was going through breast reconstruction surgery when I started talking to her and um, it's pretty, she's very uh, active person, very, very vibrant, tons of energy. And she would send me pictures all the time and she has three kids, she, you know, and her, her boyfriend's there with her. And in every single picture, she's smiling. Like she's totally happy. She's smiling. Like I got to figure out a way to get through this, that I'm going to have the best attitude. I'm always going to be happy. And yeah, uh, her and Bob are married now. She has a great relationship with her kids. She's more than five years now since she was diagnosed. Um, uh, and uh, life is great. And she's totally happy. You know, I don't know what the future holds. She doesn't know what the future holds, but um, she might've been fine one way or another, but I just love the fact that, um, you know, she said what happened in that five minutes, I'll never, ever write down. I'll never write a book about, I'll never understand. I'll never in a, in a million years be able to understand it all, but it, 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 ha it, it all happened in that, that one little five minute period. And it gave me, gave me all the strength, the source of strength for everything that I needed. You know, it's incredible. It's like she let everything yeah. go and just accepted, okay, I need to, I yeah. need to do anything I can. Right. So what made you decide to bike 5,000 miles <laughs> from California to Florida to New York? Yep. Well, okay. So uh, I feel like humans are connected by stories. Obviously, I keep telling stories. I'm a uh, story writer, right? So I feel like we're connected by emotions and we're connected by stories. 
And, um, you know, really, I mean, if you were stuck under a boat, under the water with, with no air, um, who wouldn't experience fear, right? We all do, right? So we're all connected by emotion and, and who doesn't lean in when you go, Hey, let me tell you a story, right? You lean in. So I think we're connected by those things. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to connect the stories, why not connect them? Like, like, why not figure out a way to connect the story? So the connection to the story, since everybody's so different and diverse and all over the country and different ages and different walks of life is just jump on my bike and create the thread that binds those stories together. You know, the, the, the route that I took is kind of the thread that binds all those stories together. So um, I wanted to um, on the bike ride and I did 4,700 miles in 45 days. So doing the math, it's, a lot of hours every single day, uh, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours every single day. Um, I wanted to connect the stories, but I also wanted to meet people along the way. And fortunately I did every day, met tons and tons of people to see if those themes of, you know, people wanting to be equipped, better equipped to have these hard conversations was a common theme more than I thought it was. And literally met hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people along the way. And that was a common theme. So I think the bike ride was also a reinforcement of the reason that I set out to do the project in the first place was, you know, how many, how many people said to me, Oh my God, I, my friend just got diagnosed with cancer. I have no idea what to say. Or I, I had a friend that needed me and I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. And it's been a year. I don't know what to do. Like, how do I, how do I start the conversation again? Or, oh my God, you know, um, I want to I want to talk to people about what happened to me, but I don't want to make them feel guilty. How do I go about doing that? Like, right every day, all these kind of same kind of stories. So the bike ride was both uh, an opportunity for me to accomplish something, and then also reinforcement for what I was doing. And you know, you mentioned that people had those common themes they don't know what to say to someone going through a hard time or they don't know if they should let people know and i can relate to that so much because i mean in my coaching we talk about emotions but when i have a close friend that might be going through cancer or another hardship you know it's a little harder okay do they want to talk about it or do they just want to talk about oh what'd you do today you know so it's hard to know how to start those conversations it's so hard. One of the uh, book participants, Bobby, he was going through a really, really tough time. And his dad was going through a really tough time. And his his dad had a very good childhood friend. And the childhood friend, um, uh, his wife had died from cancer. So Bobby's on the phone with, with his dad. And he said, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And the dad was like, oh, my God, I haven't talked to him in like three weeks. And he goes, um... Yeah, but his wife died. He needs his friend. And he goes, well, I don't know what the hell to say to him. He goes, what do I say to somebody who lost his wife of 40 years? And Bobby goes, what are you kidding me? He's like your best friend in the world. The only thing he's thinking about it right now is how come my friend won't call me? That's the only thing. He's not worried about you're going to say the wrong thing. He doesn't want to isolate. He All he's thinking is you guys talk every day and now he hasn't heard from you for three weeks. So call him up. Ask him what he's going to have for dinner, ask him how the Dodgers are, ask him where he's going to go when he has his next day off, see if he needs anything, 
Is he, does he know how to shop at the store? Ask him any kind of stupid question. It doesn't matter. Just call him. Right. Right. Oh I'm God, so glad you man. brought that up because it's so true. People just abandon because they don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and I did that right. When, when I would call my sister, I see that she was calling me. I go, I go, Hey June, how you doing? And then before she could answer, there was a, this long pause in my own head where I'm thinking, uh, yeah, your sister's dying of brain cancer. And all you keep doing is saying, how are you doing? Like, how do you think she's doing? And I would mentally beat myself up for how could you ask such a stupid question? You don't, you're such an idiot. And oh my God, like, uh, there's a million emotions that go through my head. And when that pause was over, which probably was like a 10th of a second, she would go, I'm fine. So anyway, da, 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 right? So we could create these big things in our head that have nothing to do with reality. The reality is that um, if we're fortunate enough to look back on our lives, in my opinion, Haley, if we're fortunate enough to look back on our lives, there's only two things that run through our heads. And that is one, we regret relationships that we didn't make deeper and we cherish and find joy and comfort in the relationships that we did have. And I don't think much else um, comes into our brains at the end of our lives, right? We just re regrets are, oh, I didn't talk to my brother for 30 years or the joy is, thank God you were my friend for 50 years or whatever, right? And I think that, um, that uh, anything that allows us to form these deeper, more meaningful connections with people is really the only thing that we should focus on. And so who cares if you say something stupid? Right. Don't let somebody that's important in your life go away because of guilt or because of embarrassment or because of fear or whatever. You're going to regret it one day. They're going to regret it. Right. So um, just lean in and be authentic and, and try your best. If you say something stupid, then apologize for saying something stupid. And if you're, you know, if, if it wasn't stupid, you could give yourself a little pat on the back that it's okay. You know, right. I just think that that just try to do your best to make those uh, connections more authentic and meaningful. I think that's so important. Now, I just want to go back to your bike ride because you had a lot of alone time, right? Mm -hmm. What did you learn about yourself? Uh, a lot of stuff. So uh, when I wrote the book, right, I wrote 15 uh, stories, right? I had, uh, as you said at the beginning, there was there. I talked to many more people, but fifteen made the book, and I was going to talk a little bit about the bike ride and the people I met along the way and my own story about June or whatever. And I was telling my editor, and I also I also told my wife uh, this idea of ah, I don't want to put myself in the story because my story is not that interesting. And they both said. That's what every one of your people said is that story's not that interesting. And they were like, it's kind of interesting that you went on this 5,000 mile bike ride. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? And so in the book, in between the 15 stories is a little bit of narrative in, in between each story is a little bit of narrative of the bike ride. And each one kind of touches on a little bit of a lesson learned for me, or I disclose something that I, you know, encountered along the way or learned along the way or whatever. I did learn a lot. I, I think the most important lesson I probably learned um, was to allow people to help you is a strength, not a weakness. Um, 
I think a lot of people can identify with this idea of if I ask for help, that makes me weak. Or if I accept help from other people, that, that means that I need it. And that's probably not the case in most cases, right? Asking for help is giving people an opportunity to do something they want to do. And receiving help from others is giving them a gift to allow them to feel valid and important. And so um, I think that was a lesson that I learned. I also came to some realizations, you know, I hadn't processed the emotions around my sister, really, uh, losing her. Um, I had a little bit, but not at a really deep contemplative level. And so I was able to come to a couple of realizations and, you know, kind of get my head straight, my my mind wrapped around some of those heavier issues. So um, that was a benefit to me on the bike ride. So what would you say is the most important thing you'd like people to take away from the book? I mean, you've mentioned so many great things. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, you know about this stuff better than I do. I mean, it's like you want people to come up with answers to their own questions. You just want to help kind of guide them, right? Because um, when 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 you give advice, it means something. But when you lead people to give themselves advice, that is even better, right? There's belief in another level of buy-in. That's probably what you encounter every day. I, so from a, from a prescriptive or a hey, take this to the bank point of view. I'm not really good about that. I would say if there is one thing that I would want people to uh, take away, it's that, um, you know, from this book specifically is although the 15 stories um, are at times a little heavy, not everyone has a happy ending or whatever. They are all unbelievably hopeful, unbelievably inspirational. They uh, the people, um, no matter what they've gone through, are are forward-looking, are optimistic, uh, have undeniable human spirit, um, and I I think that it is. Um, I want I want the reader to know that even if it's doom and gloom, right? People sometimes just want to put their feet on the ground, and that's that's the greatest thing that could happen. And so. Um, if we could be them there for them in a, if it's a day or if it's their whole lifetime of supporting them through something difficult, um, that's a great, a great opportunity. And so I think I'd want people to take from the book that even in trauma, even in cancer, even doom and gloom, even the worst scenarios, there still are moments of hope and moments of spirit and inspiration and 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 if we can be a part of that and connect with people, it's really a two, it's a two-way gift. And that's what I would just say is like, even the most tragic, horrible situations, you know, you can turn into an opportunity to form even just one passing meaningful experience with another. And it might stick with you. It might stick with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was wondering how you got people to open up to you. Do you think that's some a gift that you have? I mean, most males, you know, it, they have a hard time talking about their feelings <laughs> and all that. So I was curious to hear. That's so funny because I'm on the phone interviewing people, right? And every once in a while, you know, they left the door open or something. My, my wife would walk by and then afterwards she would go, oh my God, you can't ask somebody that question. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, I kind of have to. So I think um, I, I asked everybody to give me a safe space to ask anything. And 
Ah, oh, man. Um, it's hard to get 100% buy-in on that. But um, if, if you said to me in an authentic way, David, you can ask me anything. No, nothing's off the table. Like, I, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your project. And go ahead and ask me whatever you want to ask me. Um, that's that's a, where I needed them to go. And then the second uh, place that allowed me to do that is to be a listener. And I think that um, asking questions is, I mean, you do this during your, your day job, you do this for your podcast, you do this, I'm sure, in your relationships. Listening is uh, probably the biggest um, factor in developing trust between two individuals. If is it, um, For you to give me a safe space to talk is one thing, but for you to give me a safe space to talk and you're actually going to listen to me is a whole nother level of trust and um so I try to be a good listener and um, ask good questions and meaningful questions and responsive questions. Um, and um, uh, like I said, not everybody could go there. Um, not everybody was able to talk. Not a, not I wasn't able to kind of dial into everybody's mindset. But um, out of the 15 stories, uh, I was able to get through to all, all of the, the people and they were able to get through to me in a level that... Um, brought really the most intimate and um, impactful things to, uh, to light, you know. I'm sure you had such a big impact on their lives and, and vice versa. Do you still keep in touch with, yeah. with them? You know, uh, that's a great question. Some people I have, I do keep in touch with. A couple have turned into very good friends, very good friends. Um, a couple know this was a part of the process that they were going through. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it sticks with them or if it was just something they did along the way. Um, but I do keep in touch with a few, uh, even though I don't like to make it about me, I did learn a lot from each one of these people. But more importantly, um, I'm hoping that a few of them, you know, that this process had a positive impact on the way that they were able to process the emotions and or create a space for others to interact with them about their the emotional level of things with them or with the people in their lives. So I do think that that was a side gift to the project and a side benefit is that um, I did get to form some meaningful relationships. And I know that um, at least with a few of the people, that going through the process had a very profound effect on their lives. So they communicated that with you. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was one story in particular, there's a story of Dominic and um, he he's passed away since, but I'll never forget the one conversation I had with him, Haley, where, I mean, we had been going back and forth for about two years about his experiences, very dramatic. Um, just absolutely nuts, you know, uh, two, two times cancer where he's told he's going to die. And, and just, just, you know, one is a teenager, one little bit later in life, not that much later. And in between he did everything bad. You can imagine a person would do drugs and violence and he'd been in jail and he'd been a bad dad. And he just had all of these things that went on in his life. And I'll never forget Haley. We had this one conversation where he kind of broke down and he goes, you know, he goes, I'm just so afraid to die. I've been afraid to die my whole life. And 
And that had created these regrets in him where he didn't tell his family his whole story. He didn't uh, journal for his kids. He didn't do a lot of things he wanted to do in life because he was just always afraid he was going to die. And I'll never forget, Haley, that I said to him in response, I'm going to short note it here, but I said to him in response, I think, Dominic, maybe you've been afraid to live your whole life mm -hmm. because you knew you were going to die. You were told you were going to die over and over and over. And I said, maybe you should take that, the idea that, that you've been afraid to live and just stop being afraid to live. And I know that that had an impact on him. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I was the one that did that, but our conversation had an impact on him such that he did start to journal. And he did eventually sit down with his kids and talk to him about his life. And he took some vacations he never would have taken. And he mended some relationships he never would have mended because he started to realize that he's got to live and really touching because you know he he told me a couple of times down the road um how important that change of mindset was and so um, the fact that we went through that together was really really meaningful to me oh that is just wonderful and mm -hmm. i'm sure it just gave you so much gratitude and and mm -hmm and peace, you know, he taught me that, right? Maybe he taught me that. I, I don't know that I taught him anything, but maybe he taught me that and it just came out um, uh, that way. But he was a really interesting, fascinating guy. And, and I was very touched to know him. And, uh, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from him for sure. Well, we're wrapping up and I just wanted to ask you, is there any advice that you want to give the listeners any final thoughts before we get into random <laughs> um, round no i mean uh look uh one thing I, I i always kind of forget to talk about is that all the proceeds from the book are going to support different cancer organizations that were picked by the 15 book participants so 100 percent of the net proceeds go to organizations like the moffa cancer center um, perlmutter cancer institute at, at nyu um, American Cancer Society, Children's Hospital, those kind of things. So although the goal of the book is to raise a little bit of money, the bigger goal is to equip people. Um, and I would just say that um, I think that um, the stories are easy to read. They're, they're, some of them are a little heavy, but, but they're in short story format, so they're easy to read. And I would just say that if you are experiencing difficulty in communicating on an emotional level with people that are going through trauma or because you're going through trauma, you're having that difficulty. It's just quite possible the book might help with that. So that's the one thing I'd say. That's great. So fill in the blank. Freedom <laughs> to you is? The only thing it could be is choosing how to spend your time. That's, that's being free, is being able to make a decision on this is what I'm going to do at this moment. The last show you binged and loved. The Queen's Gambit. How could you not love that? And I did binge it. So great. It was such a good show. When you are feeling afraid, what do you do? Um, well, geez, I have uh, dug myself out of a lot of holes and put myself in a lot of bad situations. I, I would say the... Uh, the easiest thing when it comes to fear is just figure out a way to put like one foot forward. You'll figure it out. 
right? You'll figure it out. Just figure out a way to put one foot, unless it's a bear, then you want to put one foot backwards. (laughs) Then you want to run. (laughs) If you can have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Jeez, a one hour? You got to limit it to one hour? (laughs) Uh, I would have to speed question Plato. Speed, I'll go speed round for an hour with Plato. You know, art, politics, religion, uh, teaching, you know, uh, everything that, you know, we have pretty much all Western thought is, you know, and tradition and the way we teach and how we learn is all, all, all can trace its way all the way back to Plato. So I think I would probably uh, speed, speed, speed round him for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite go-to snack? Well, I'm in Vegas. It's hot right now. There's nothing better than cold watermelon on a hot day. So I'd say uh, watermelon's a good snack. And if you ever put a bag of uh, or a box of Cheez-Its in front of me, expect it'll be gone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one extreme to the Cheez-Its. other, right? Don't bring me Cheez-Its. <laughs> What's one simple thing that brings you joy? Uh, simple. Oh, oh my gosh. I think... I, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it. My favorite thing in the whole wide world, go play Frisbee. When I was 13, my parents had dropped me off to, to a relatives in New Jersey. I was we, I grew up in LA. And my older cousin, the only time I ever met him or uh, hung out with him, he was like in his 20s, taught me how to throw Frisbee like 10 different ways. And it's the simplest thing to do is just throw a Frisbee with a friend. But it's it, I never, ever don't like playing Frisbee. What's on your nightstand? Uh, only a couple of things. I don't have books or lights. Um, uh, I, 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 I just, I would fall asleep if I sat down. If I laid in bed to read a book, I'd fall asleep. Um, no remotes. I don't have a TV in the bedroom. I have uh, essential oils, um, a candle. Um, yeah, that's about it. So it relaxes you, those essential oils, yeah, huh? Absolutely. What's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Uh, well, that's what we've been talking about the whole time, right? Is meaningful relationships. So I have, I'm very grateful that I have a very close relationship with my kids. My wife is like, you talk to your kids every day. And I'm like, yeah, she goes, they're 23. I have twins. They're 23 year old twins. I go, yeah. She goes, don't you find that weird? I'm like, no, I think that's great. (laughs) And I talked to her. I talk to her all day long, so I, I'd say I'm grateful for those close relationships. And what's your favorite form of exercise? Running. I guess in here I should be cycling, right? Right, I, right. But it's half half and half, running or cycling. Where can people find out more about you and your book? Oh, thanks, Haley. Um, anywhere books are sold. Um Amazon is where most books are sold. Go to your bookstore. Even your independent bookstores will have the book or can order it. Um, go to my website, cycleoflives.org. You could see all the different organizations that we uh, support. Um, and, um, you know, there's links to buy the book or learn more. Um, if it's something that touches you, you know, you could see how you could maybe get involved and support these other organizations. Um yeah, but that's the best way, cycleoflives.org, or just go on Amazon or to your bookstore and check out the book, Cycle of Lives. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you today, and I really appreciate you coming on. 
That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.